Welcome to the Sam Says Podcast. I'm Samantha Oldsfry, the CEO of the Illinois Association of Medicaid Health Plans, also known as IMHIP. In this podcast, we focus on all things surrounding the Illinois Medicaid Managed Care Program. Welcome to the Sam Says Podcast. I'm the Sam and Sam Says, and today I'm welcoming back our tried and true podcast guest, Laura Minzer, president of the Illinois Life and Health Insurance Council to help us break down the world of healthcare financing. It's about to become very busy in this space. So Laura, it's so good to have you back. It's so good to be back. Thanks for having me again, Sam. I'm always excited to, anytime I get a chance to talk to you, but certainly as a part of your podcast too. Same. I mean, I always love having you as a podcast guest, but as a dinner guest is just as much fun. (laughs) Totally. I would totally agree. Well, let's sort of start um, talking about healthcare financing. And for those of our listeners who maybe don't remember Laura or, you know, just it's busy. Laura represents essentially what I'm going to call the commercial side of the healthcare industry of, of health insurance plans, whereas I'm hip and, and myself, we represent the Medicaid side. However, really, I think in part because of the intricate world of healthcare finance, we find ourselves regularly working together, even though our world and our regulatory space is quite different. But can you sort of, can we just sort of level set and, and in your words, Laura, give us an overview of the council, the work you're doing in sort of current landscape here in Illinois. Yeah, no, I'm happy to. Thanks, Sam. Um, so uh, as Sam said, I represent the health and uh, life. I represent the life side as well. So we have essentially 32 members, both health and life insurance, some sell um both, but um, uh, most are in the comprehensive, on the healthcare front, are in the comprehensive health uh, side. So, um, and what exactly does that mean? They represent um, on the commercial side, uh, anywhere from the plans that people may purchase for themselves or their family members as a part of the Affordable Care Act or the ACA marketplace. Um, It may be through their employer, whether it's large or small, Um, although if you have a a group plan um, that's typically from a large employer, it's going to be probably a plan that is regulated by the federal government. And I do work a lot with our partners at the national level um, to uh, talk through issues because there's a lot of interconnectedness there. Um, but with respect to how insurance is regulated in the state, it's it's from a private insurance perspective. It's underneath the purview of our Department of Insurance, our Illinois Department of Insurance, and is really limited to what we call the fully insured market. So essentially, those plans that are either on the marketplace um, or uh, are through a small employer who may have um, a purchased a health insurance plan for their for their employees. And that's really different than on the Medicaid side where yes, Medicaid is a federal state partnership. We thankfully get federal matching dollars, but the regulations, the program, it's really structured by the state and state mm-hmm. legislators and and they design the program. But on the commercial side, the private side, a lot of it really comes from federal regulations. Um, and I think that's something, you know, I definitely didn't know um, 
until more recently, because you just sort of assume there's an Illinois Department of Insurance, they regulate things, and and they do, but a lot of it falls into this other category, right, Laura? Sure. Yeah, and I think there's a lot of consumer confusion. We spend a lot of our time just sort of level setting with new legislators, with existing legislators um, and policymakers, reminding them of the dynamics that you know, that are in play with respect to the private insurance market. Um, you know, oftentimes you see headlines, you know, passing, uh, you know, insulin drugs, for example, are capped at $30 uh, out of pocket. So, you know, consumers may automatically assume that applies to them. Well, all plans are not created equal. They're different. And it's, it is very complex and confusing. One of the things we did work on the, with the Department of Insurance this last General Assembly, which will eventually be rolled out in 2024, not, not quite yet, but is to make a clearer identification, particularly for those with uh, private health insurance to understand, you know, who they should be going to uh, with questions about their plan. So is it the Department of Insurance or is it the federal government? So making that more identifiable to the consumer, which we hope will help with that some of, some of that education process, but it is a learning curve. I think, you know, healthcare, whether it's Medicaid, whether it's private, whether it's Medicare, it's just complicated and there's so much <laughs> yeah. nuance. And that's why I love talking to you because I'm a policy wonk and I love just like digging into these layers. And every time I talk to you, I sort of learn something new because I'm oh, steeped in a Medicaid program. But like what I think and, and what we really want to talk about today is the idea that there's really this ecosystem and Medicaid policy ends up impacting the healthcare ecosystem just as private insurance policy impacts that ecosystem. We're all going by and large the same healthcare providers, doctors, hospitals, et cetera. And as policies shift and move, it impacts all of us. Um, and we hear this a lot around um, premium costs, right? Like if Medicaid underpays providers, private insurance premiums increase, right? Like that's sort of, I think, the big thing we hear about in the health economics space is that, I mean, is that's in my mind, the most common thing people hear. It is, yes. And it's very simplistic form. You know, I think to break it down very simplistically, um, the private insurance um, payers, the insurers, uh, essentially pay a much higher reimbursement rate Um as a rule of thumb to providers than Medicaid, much, much higher, I would say, um, and even higher than Medicare, um, Medicare rates. So the public insurance sector is a versus the private insurance sector. Um, and when there is that underpayment to providers, um, it results in a couple of consequences, right? I mean, I, I know you're acutely aware on the Medicaid side, sometimes providers don't participate in the Medicaid program, and that creates gaps in access um, where they do, and they're trying to recoup those costs. So it does create some pressure points on the private insurance side. So when we look at, um, we have a nice graphic. If you look at your premium dollar, how much you, if you have private insurance for every dollar you spend, so much of that portion is attributable to a lot of things. Um, primarily as you know, can probably be the obvious point is the medical care side. So prescription drugs and your medical services, physician services, hospital services, and then a, a smaller portion, albeit a growing portion 
distortion is also attributable to, you know, other things such as we call it the cost shift that may be associated with underpayment in the Medicaid and Medicare space. Um, and I think this pressure is is also felt acutely if you think about in terms of how private insurers pay. You might I, I think the argument has I've heard the argument too say, well, why not insurers pay pay less to pay? Why don't they match the Medicare rate for providers? That way they bring the cost of those premiums down. And I think uh, there's been several studies to suggest that yeah, it would significantly increase cost to consumers overall. However, it's not that simple, right? It's um, it's a lot of things. There's a lot of regulatory provisions that insurers on the private side have to navigate, including, you know, the how robust their networks are, how many providers of certain specialties and certain lines of care, and the same goes for Medicaid too, but um, exist in that network. And as we've seen consolidation occur, um, across the marketplace and the ecosystem, right? Um, and particularly in the provider space, it becomes more difficult. And we've had to kind of, insurers have had to kind of reconfigure and think about how they share risk, how they finance that risk. Um, and it becomes, you know, a, a very complex conversation very quickly. Right. I love that. Like we just start and we're like, all right, we're all going to the same hospitals <laughs> and we pay them a certain amount. Medicaid, Although hospitals is a unique example because we have some unique hospital funding here in Illinois, yes. but let, let's use um, a, a doctor's office. So if you're going to the doctor's office, by and large, Medicaid pays the least, then there's Medicare, then there's commercial insurance. Um, so let's say 75 cents, a dollar, a dollar 25. Well, all of a sudden, if the folks paying a dollar 25 were to decrease that down to the dollar, you know, mm -hmm. where are the doctors going to make up? that quarter um yeah. and that you know and are they and if they don't what does that mean are they going to stay in business or or are they going to retract maybe contract their hours decrease access it gets complicated there are real world effects from these sort of policy changes and one of the things we're sort of looking at we're all aware of um you know we've been in nearly three years of covid we are finding of course the public health emergency is going to you know, end in the near future. And we are going to, in the Medicaid space, start to have what is called redeterminations. And what that essentially means is we are going to look through who's eligible for Medicaid, send out paperwork. People will be determined still eligible. People will be determined ineligible. They, they make too much money for Medicaid. And then there's going to definitely be a pool of people who just don't send that paperwork back. Um, and they'll lose coverage, not because they're ineligible, but because of because of paperwork. And so we know people are losing, going to lose healthcare coverage and our uninsurance rate is going to increase in the next year. And I think that's going to impact our entire ecosystem, not just the Medicaid side. Lord, do you yeah. agree or disagree with that? No, I would totally agree. I mean, I think it's been interesting. It's always interesting, right? But it's the, the patterns of, of our, healthcare coverage side um, in the public and the private side as well um, have changed really dramatically. I, it's exciting time, you know, for somebody that loves policy and loves this world as well to watch how it's changed. I mean, I early, early in my career, there was a time where private insurance was 
very difficult to obtain if you had a pre-existing or any type of underlying health condition. That world has changed dramatically, obviously, as um, as a result of the Affordable Care Act and the opportunities that opened up as a part of that. And one of the key pieces that the Affordable Care Act you know, put into place in order to help individuals purchase um, private insurance is the tax credits or the premium tax credits that's, you know, all tied to your household income. Now, it didn't always used to be that way, but um, your uh, your income, just like Medicaid, determined eligibility for the subsidies you would get, just as, as it determines your eligibility for Medicaid. So the hope is, obviously, that's all to say that with um the Medicaid redeterminations coming back um, into play this year. Uh, as you point out, yes, I think we all look at this and, and believe that it will create a lot of um, disruption uh, to the system. But, you know, in an ideal world, the goal would be to get those individuals into the right door for coverage. If they are no longer are eligible by virtue of their income, during the redetermination process, then are they qualified for a subsidy or a tax credit to help them purchase insurance on the, the marketplace? And they would, you know, if they lose that coverage under Medicaid, they would qualify for a special enrollment period. So the goal would be get them into that pool. So find that door and get them in there. Um, but as you point out, unfortunately, um, you know, there's there are going to be those that find themselves uh, in the uninsured population um, for, for whatever reason. Maybe it's still, still too costly for them to afford private insurance. Um, maybe they just simply drop coverage altogether and don't see the value in getting it. Um, but that also, you know, as, as you know, we talked a lot about the shift there, but there is a big cost that's borne on the entire system when people just don't get insurance period um, through a public or a private option means. So that that bear, that has some costs on the system as well because providers have to recoup those costs um, and usually eat those costs. And then where do they spread those costs? Well, it's throughout the system and that includes um, you know insurers as well. And those providers are already strained through increased workforce costs. I mean, I think we've all read the articles yes. about, you know, with private nursing agencies and what th those costs are. And so I know at least on the Medicaid side, Medicaid side providers are already turning to the, the health plans, you know, to sort of see increased reimbursement to cover those increased costs. Yeah. I assume that they're doing the same on the commercial side. And this is before we're seeing um, you know, sort of eligibility changing and shifting. Yeah. And, you know, I think, I think this all bears, you know, bears in mind or, or folks should keep this in mind is the number one group of people in Illinois that are uninsured are people who are eligible for Medicaid and not enrolled. You know, all these other little pockets of folks and they're important because coverage, you know, we want, we want comprehensive coverage for everybody. But the biggest swath is people who are eligible for Medicaid and not enrolled for whatever reason. And I anticipate that as we see redetermination kick back on, that trend is going to continue. And so we're going to do everything we can to do warm handoffs over to the exchange products. Um, we're, you know, the federal government has given 
the health plans in the state. A lot of flexibility on that. So we're really grateful for that because we don't want anybody to lose coverage just because of paperwork. And so if they're not eligible for Medicaid, but they're eligible for, you know, these enhanced subsidies too, right? Like these, they're, they're even larger than they were um, originally. Yes. And, and makes the, the plan much, much more affordable. We want to hand them over there. Um, and, and we want that continuous coverage. But I think it's really important to note that, that the biggest risk is most likely not that members can't afford the health exchange products. Because again, that the generosity of those subsidies, it's really changed um, the game. It's they're going members are going to lose coverage just because they didn't get the letter. They didn't send the letter in on time. They got the letter. It got confusing. And then um, so they didn't send it in. And what does that mean when they get sick? Because not having health insurance, not having health coverage doesn't mean you're always healthy, right? It just yeah. means um, you don't have a safety net. Yeah, absolutely. Your, your your safety net is the emergency room, which is costly and you know has a ripple effect on all of us. It really does. It really does. And so as you're, um, you know, just sort of thinking through all of this, what are you, um, what are you anticipating? How are you, you know, what are your members, the insurance companies sort of thinking about? And, and do you, you know, what should providers and just healthcare consumers, you know, sort of be thinking about well, I think, um, you know, it's it's easy for me to sit here and say consumers should be really thinking of this 24-7 because I know they're, they're doing it, right? So um, I, I think it's always a good rule of thumb to, you know, understand um, at the basic, and I get it's very complicated, but understand what you're coverage is and why it why it's important and it's up to us to communicate that as well um i think as we start to see this piece of it as we emerge from the the covid-19 public health emergency and these medicaid redeterminations come back online i know there's a lot of conversation that we've been having goodness i think for almost as long as i've been doing this around health reform and how how best to um help consumers and what can what role does the state play in all of that uh recently you know i know the state sort of undertaken and looked at options that might exist um to coordinate if you will um to better coordinate the interaction between the exchange or the private marketplace and the medicaid program and if there's programs in between or expansions of those programs, it's it's a lot of a lot of different conversations that have happened. But one thing I do know that seems to be sort of on the table is that, you know, in order for us as a state to address this as a state um, in these types of challenges and have a little more control over um, our destiny as far as what the new what the unique situations might come up here is to take ownership of that um of that uh exchange platform or the marketplace so right now we rely on the federal government to do that um and there's a lot there's always going to be a, a strong partnership there but i know policymakers and our regulators i believe are looking at this because that allows more flexibility um for the department of insurance 
and healthcare and family services to engage and, and understand, you know, um, how they're going to address the population that may be coming off of Medicaid, going into private insurance and vice versa. Um, that churn, if you will, that occurs even without these redeterminations, but it will be much more of a uh, an acutely felt experience. And, you know, employment patterns have changed as well. I talked about at the beginning, you know, where you get your insurance on the private side sector, it can also include your employer. And majority of people that have private insurance do get it through their employer. Uh, and as I mentioned, a bulk of those are not regulated by the state of Illinois, but those patterns have changed too. Um, we saw during the pandemic, the great retirement <laughs> or the, or the um, uh, great, um, what do they call it? The great quitting. Or the great uh, resignation. Great resignation. That's the word I'm looking for. Um, and a lot of and, and the, the way um, individuals either found other jobs, you know, they decided they were, they were out of, they, they didn't want to do what they were doing anymore, so they found another line of work, or maybe they always wanted to be an entrepreneur, and they went, you know, and started their own company, or, you know, I, I don't know. <laughs> I, I know I think there's a lot of, of unknowns about what people did, but it did change, and I think it will continue to change, again, those access points of coverage. Um, and we saw uh, just recently with the numbers that came out from um, the federal government, as well as our department, there is an increased enrollment in the marketplace or the exchange plans. I think approximately six percent over what was last year. And last year was a was a huge jump in the enrollments, and a lot of that has to do with the expansions um, and, the, and the government making um, extending the availability of those premium tax credits to a, a wider array or a higher a level of income earners, if you will, tying it to your household income as opposed to having a cliff at 400% of federal poverty level before you don't qualify anymore. And I think that goes a long way to helping individuals get into that that bucket. But all that's to say, um, I think we expect and we anticipate um, a lot more education process with our policymakers. We're trying our best to, and, and I know our companies are trying their best to educate consumers and try as, as hard as possible to simplify the process for them. Um, uh, but I think there will be a lot more conversations about how does the state um, own this in a way that it can be as responsive as possible to the challenges that, you know, we'll always continue to face in this and I say opportunities as well. Right. I love that. You know, the idea that there are opportunities here, right? Like this great challenge sort of forces the state to take a look and say, well, maybe taking our own destiny into our hands and figuring out if there's a better platform and if we could streamline the Medicaid process, you know, or the exchange process, make it a little bit easier um, on everyone. Because right now it's kind of wonky if you've ever gone on, um, you know, it, it essentially you fill out the paperwork and then it'll just send you right on over, you know, it sends you over to the HFS or DHS website really. And you've got to like, but it's not always clear why, um, you know, I, there's definitely room for improvement in that mm -hmm. platform from a consumer perspective in terms of just navigating it all. And so, you know, maybe that's the idea that there's there's challenges before all of us, but there's also some opportunities to, to you know, high stakes. So might as well try to sort of make it a little bit better. Yeah. And and the key to all this is brings us full circle back to where we started. And we don't 
I know we're running short on time, so we can have a whole other conversations. How do you pay for it all, right? So right. Uh, that's that's the 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 trick for from our perspective that we you know we look look forward to having those conversations. But yeah, it all all comes down to how is this paid for, right? How do we balance the needs and the costs and make it work and reasonable and not increase the cost on the consumer? Right. Um, I think that we are all all sensitive to. We want to make sure that um, we're not increasing costs for for consumers and and we're not increasing burden either. Um, And and so that is the challenge, I think, before all of us um, in the healthcare space in the next year. And oh, Laura, I hope you'll come back to just walk us through what we know and what we learn along this journey, because I think they're going to be um, quite a few lessons that we we learn over the next 12 months. But thank you so much for joining me today. Oh, thank you again for having me. It's always a pleasure talking with you. And I would be happy to join you anytime you need me to. Oh, perfect. To our listeners, to learn more about what I'm Hip is doing and to listen to other interesting podcasts like this one, we encourage you to visit our website at I'm, imhip.org. And don't forget to like and follow us on Facebook, LinkedIn, and Twitter. I'm Samantha Oldsfry. The Sam and Sam says, thanks for joining us. And until next time, be well and stay safe.